So we are in our second week of Love Your Neighbor. And uh, a lot has happened since nothing is happening the way that we had planned, but that's kind of good. Because we weren't even supposed to be here uh, today. And so here we are. And so some of you were probably surprised to see us here today. And even the calendar said we wouldn't be here today, but we're here. If you haven't figured that out yet. And so we, we uh, had a few weeks ago, you know, we started this series and we looked at who is my neighbor. Because we thought, you know, before I could even talk about loving my neighbor, I need to know who my neighbor is. What are we talking about here? And so we looked at the fact that Jesus answered this question vividly. In the story of the Good Samaritan, people, you know, came up and they were asking him, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus said, what did we conclude? Jesus concluded that my neighbor is anyone in need. It's not the person that scratches my back and I scratch theirs or the person I've known all my life here in West Prince. We realized on that day that the person is my neighbor if they have a need. And that means all people, all walks of life. And so today we went back to our passage that was read today, and in that passage we see that Jesus is confronted with these religious leaders who approach Jesus and ask this question, what is the greatest commandment? We had spoken about the fact that this was a dialogue that they would continue to have. What was the greatest commandment? And different rabbis would come forth with an answer to that. And now we're seeing that Jesus is saying to them, this is my greatest commandment. This is the, the gospel. This is what's important to Jesus in a nutshell. If you were to ask the Lord today, what is the greatest commandment? This would be the same answer. It should be the same answer for us as the church. Because this is what it all boils down to. And so today I start with this question. And I know I don't think anyone, my allergies are bothering me a little bit here. So I'll try to good. But I don't think anyone's going to stand up and say, yeah, I claim bankruptcy. But I know from time to time there are people who have had to do that. And, and I bring this question up because I want to say to you today, we are all spiritually bankrupt. We need to get this figured out first before we can even move on. We are all spiritually bankrupt. You see, these leaders, these scribes, these religious leaders that came to Jesus who thought they had it all together, looked very good on the outside, were also spiritually bankrupt. And so the truth today is we all start that way. That's why we need a Savior. That is why we need Jesus. That is why we need salvation. That is why Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Because the truth of it is, we're all spiritually bankrupt. Just like these religious leaders were. And because of that, unless a heart has been cleansed, unless a heart has been set right, you can never fully look up. See, that, that's got to be the first step if we're going to talk today about loving God. Is we need to realize, unlike these men who had come to Jesus, who were the religious elite of the day, that we need to come to a place where we realize we are spiritually bankrupt, and no matter how hard I try on my own strength, I cannot love God. My heart needs to be changed. needs to be transformed. And that can only be done through the blood of God. So before we even discuss loving God, we need to admit and understand that loving God can only come from a heart that has been changed and transformed. 
Has your heart been changed and transformed because of what Christ has done for you and accepting Him as Lord and Savior? See, that, that is what we need to get to before we realize that this commandment cannot be lived out unless we have received the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to help us to live this life where we can love God fully and love our neighbor. Which we're going to look at more next week. Notice here today, this is the first. Jesus says this has to happen first. We live in a day where people are very socially active. And we think that we're like little, <laughs> like going around, you know, busy doing all these things for Jesus. And all these things for the church. And yes, it's important. I don't want everyone to say, okay, that's it, Pastor. I'm not doing anything anymore. But we need to realize before we're socially active. And there's movements out there that believe the church is just social action. What comes first, Jesus makes it very clear here, what comes first is our love for God. That's where it has to start. It has to start with a love for God first. And so that's why this week we're looking at that first. Loving God, we first must love the Lord with all our hearts, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. And it's when our hearts have been filled with his love that we can then go out and love others selflessly and intentionally. This is nothing new. This is not something new that Jesus was telling these religious leaders. This has been in God's word right from the beginning. It's part of the Old Testament. Because Jesus actually is, what's he doing? He's quoting Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. And he quotes Leviticus when he talks about loving your neighbor as yourself. This has always been in God's word. See, Moses, though, had received 613 laws on Mount Sinai. I can't even imagine trying to keep that list. What that would be like. <laughs> 613 laws. By the time Jesus had come, others had come and they had reinterpreted those 613 laws and made them into uh, thousands of what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And uh, we know, we've heard it, the rules of do's and don'ts. But you know, it's interesting. David, a man after God's own heart, said in Psalm 15, he narrowed them down to 11. He said, he who walks blamelessly. This is who can dwell in God's holy hill. hill. He who walks blamelessly and does, not, does what is right and speaks truth from the heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to their friends nor takes up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes the wicked are despised, but who honor those who fear the Lord, who stands by their oath even to their hurt, who does not lend money at interest, and does not take a bribe against the innocent. Later on, Isaiah would narrow it down to six. He would say, He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, who despises the gain of oppression, who waves away a bribe instead of accepting it, who stops their ears of hearing of bloodshed and shuts their eyes from looking on evil. Then there would be Micah, the prophet of Micah, that would come in chapter uh, 6, verse 8, that we know this familiar passage. What does the Lord require of you? He narrowed the laws down into three, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. As we heard today, Jesus now narrows it all down. Everything that they had heard throughout the Old Testament, all of this is what they were supposed to do. Jesus narrows it down to this. This is what must be first. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The Old Testament word for love is ahab, or ahab. It's this idea of affection for, this desiring, this delighting to be fond of, this, this ardent inclination of the mind, this tenderness of affection that denotes a strong emotional attachment, the desire to be in the presence of the object of your love. And, and this is all throughout God's word, that this is what he was desiring from his people. This was nothing new, what Jesus was talking about here. And so in Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 5, we hear what we call the Shema, which is here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Here it is again. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. See, this was the creed of Judaism. Still is. Then this is what they would uh, say every morning when they got up. Oh, here, O Israel, this was the Shema. This was why when we gathered together in a place in the synagogue, when Jesus gathered as a young boy in the synagogue, this is what would be read out. This is what was said. The Shema. It was their creed. It, it was so important to them that those phylacteries, those little leather boxes that they would put on their foreheads and bind to their hands and wrists, that's what's in there. The Shema is in there. They were putting it here so they wouldn't forget. They were putting it here so they would see it all throughout the day. And the Shema is what was in the mezuzah. And the mezuzah is that little box, that little cylinder that's put by the door. And this is the word of God that's put by that door. So that as they entered into their home, they would remember this. And as they left their home, they would see it. And even some in Judaism today believe in that so much that it's even put on the door of every room. So when I get up and I walk into my bedroom, I see it there. That I'm to love the Lord my God with everything that I have. It's everywhere around them. I can't say it enough. This is not something new. You know, it's interesting because we're told throughout the Old Testament, the prophets may say and speak up about the fact that they had lost what it was all about. See, the scribe accepted what Jesus had to say, and he concluded, well, this was good because this was part of Judaism. He had heard this all his life. But, you know, it's interesting. Within the Old Testament, it also says to obey is better than sacrifice. To hear is better than the fat of rams. I like what Hosea said in 6 6. I desire steadfast love, the Lord said, not sacrifice. And so, what's the danger here that Jesus is speaking out against? And my friends, I don't know if you can see that very well, but it is the same danger today. It is the let ritual take the place of love. To let what we do. And all our religious practices, and well, you know, a Christian is supposed to do this, and a Christian is not supposed to do that, and I have my little black book, and I have the rules that I've been told since I was a child, and that's what I do, and you know, I'm doing them. That is always the danger, my friends, not to say those things are wrong, but the danger has always been there, and still is today, if we're not careful, we're going through the motions of religion. 
that right from the beginning, what God has wanted is our love. And he wants that to be first. So what does it mean to love the Lord our God with our heart, our soul, our mind, and strength? What does that look like? Well, this is a statement that stayed with me many years ago, and some people have a problem with it. Love God and do what you like. Love God and do what you like. Now, some believe this gives me the freedom to do whatever I want. I love God. You know, I, I accepted him as my Lord and Savior, and I'm thankful that on Sunday I'm going to heaven with him. And, 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 you know, I did that 42 years ago, and I love the Lord because he made a way for me. Yeah, great. But it doesn't have anything to do with how I live my life today. That's not what Augustine was saying. This is actually taken out of context. Augustine was saying, if you love God, you're going to do what he wants you to do. That's the truth of it. If you love God, you're going to serve him with your whole life. It's, it's important that you have that moment that I said you're spiritually bankrupt and you need to come to Jesus and you need to make it right with God. That is important, but it's also how you live this life that's important. How we live it today. Up to, up, up to date accounts. I should be able to ask you today, how is God moving in your life? What is God saying to you? How are you sensing God? Because God is an up-to-date God. And God cares about what you're going through, and He cares about this terrible storm we've been through, and how you're trying to get a tree out of the line up front, and how you're having to fix, and how you're having to clean, and you don't know where to turn, and the finances, and you just had to throw out a freezer of food. God wants to be a part of all of that. And so, this word in the New Testament, we talk about it as agape, agapo, is this, you know, this love is to regard the welfare of, to prize above all other things. You're unwilling to abandon it or to do without. And longing for, very similar to the Hebrew word for love in the Old Testament. You know, is that, is that your desire today? Is that how you would refer to God, that you long for him? That you will not abandon him, that you prize your relationship with God through Jesus Christ above everything else. And so when we look at the heart, when God says, Love, love with all of your heart, this is the center of our physical and spiritual life. This is my passions and my desires and my affections. See, I, I thought of this, and I thought this was very interesting. Your flesh is what gives your appearance to ones here. And I think it looks as important to look good. We joked with someone recently at the funeral home about the fact that there was an old uh, preacher back in the day when people really spoke up against women wearing jewelry and women wearing makeup. And they went into the old preacher and said, well, what do you think about this? All these women wearing blush and makeup. And he says, well, all I got this to say. If you need it. Plaster it off. <laughs> but I say all that to say God doesn't look at this. God, this, this is going to waste away. And this is going to deteriorate. <laughs> no matter what kind of casket you put me in and the big cement vault you can put around it, it's going to waste away. That's not what God sees. What does God look at? 
the heart. That's your identity. That's how God sees you. This is also what God will judge. And so we put so much energy into our physical life. But God wants us to really be concerned about our heart. This is my identity, who I am. This is my mental and moral activity. My emotional element of who I am. And see, God wants an exclusive love. Remember we said here, all your love. <laughs> see, we see that in the Old Testament because God saw that Israel was what? His wife. And he wanted them to love him exclusively. He wanted them not to have any other gods before him. And he literally uh, is a jealous God because he said of Israel, he even called them a harlot because they were unfaithful to him and they had other gods. They had other lovers. That's why the whole book of Hosea is there, the prophet Hosea, as this example of what Israel had done to God. And Jesus looks at it this way in the fact that we as the church is the bride of Christ, and he is the bridegroom that we are waiting for. And so we are to love God exclusively. We're not to have any other gods before him. Jesus said it this way. He said, you cannot, Matthew, you cannot serve two masters. And so we are to love God with our hearts exclusively. This, my friends, is not just doing the right things for the right reasons. This is not just acting rightly. This is, I do the things right because my heart is right with God. This is the problem that we were reading at that first point. If we're not careful, there's a lot of people who can fail. A lot of people who can come together with people and pretend. This is not about your performance. Because what you do comes from your heart. And so if we try to do the, the spiritual things or try to love people and the heart is not there and our love for God is not there, it is not going to show or any glory to Him. Because your motive will not be pure. And so we're to love God with all of our hearts. We're to love God with all of our souls. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit on Wednesday night and what we said about the Holy Spirit on Wednesday night is, is the Holy Spirit is the breath of God. The Ruach of God. Just breathe in for a minute. Take a deep breath. That's, that's the Holy Spirit giving you life in your lungs. That that life has been breathed into you by God. You know, I thought about that today at birth, that a, a child is born, and what do they do? What does everyone wait for when that baby is born? That breath, that scream, that cry. That's your soul. That breath of God. That spirit of God. That he has brought into you. You know, we, we talk about the heart and the soul. This is the inner person. This is who you are inside that no one else sees but God sees. And God knows. Another word for soul is psyche. And it is the principle of life itself. It's the very life within you that's been given to you. The inward part of your human personality. That inner consciousness of self. My friends, when this body is laid down on that last day, this is what will live on. This is what lives on. 
is that breath, that life, that soul. And so this is your determination, your motivation. And you know, somebody had this statement years ago, love the Lord with all your mind. If God has given you a brain, he expects you to use it. I remember there was a lady that I was trying to mentor and disciple, and she would say to me, you know, I'm only a new believer. And then finally I stopped one day and I thought, she's been a believer for 10 years. 10 years. I'm just a new believer. And it became an excuse for not growth and maturing in the things of God. And God has given you a mind. We as part of his creation have a mind. And we are able to reason and imagine and think. God has given us that to think. And God wants to hold us accountable. So in that moment that I accept Christ, he deals with my heart. But now I have a responsibility to take my mind and bring it into the lordship of Jesus Christ. And now allow it to grow and mature and change in the things of God. And so I don't just come to church as somebody said, leave my mind outside the door. This is supposed to be a place of discussion and looking and uh, wondering and asking and uh, adult Bible study, asking those questions and seeking the things of God and Wednesday night learning about the Holy Spirit and at home reading and into his word and praying, God, what are you saying here to me? That's why God has given us a mind. Do you realize that this is the part often that we're going to be held accountable to? What have we done with what we've been given? We have been given such a wonderful gift. And God wants us to be able to grow and mature in our knowledge of him and the things of God and to share that in the spiritual development of not just ourselves but others around us. This is why the ministry of Sunday school is crucial. This is why it's important to have your children, your grandchildren, and the youth here on a Sunday morning. And beyond will say, yay, pastor. This is why we come to learn and to grow and to mature in the things of God. And why studying his word is so important. <clears throat> I don't have to be told to. I'm not obligated to. Remember I said many years ago, I don't have to. I get to. When it comes to growing in my mind and things of God. And then we're told to love the Lord with all your strength. Now some of you would say, well, pastor, my strength is not what it used to be. And I would say amen to that, because I can tell you the same thing. And I don't think it's going to get any better. Unless I go to work out at CrossFit or something like that, which I probably could. Start to work out more and be more active. But you know, our strength does wean. But that's not what this is talking about here. This is not saying that you love the Lord with the strength you had in your 20s when you're in your 40s. This is saying that you love the Lord with all your strength when today. Whatever strength the Lord has given you today, that's how we want you to love him. This is my abilities. This is my force, my power that I exert in my love for God. And this love is obedient. Obedience to God's commands. It shows that I trust him when it doesn't make sense. I'm obedient to him in difficult times. Because obedience now naturally flows out of a heart that is in love. And so this is my strength. This is this preserving love. And one of the greatest examples of loving the Lord with my strength is what? Commitment. That's, that's one of the greatest signs of my love between a husband and a, and a wife is we're committed to each other. 
That commitment. That's why we, we are amazed when we see someone married 50 and 60 years. Because they're committed. Now, some of us, you don't know, realize that, but we're cheap. We're frugal at times, certain things. And so we don't have cable in our property down in Shelton. We got one of those little antenna things that you have to do dance around the room to get a channel in. And the channel we get in is from the Atlantic. We don't get I can't get to Charlottetown, so we're getting over from New Brunswick and from Nova Scotia. That's how the news. We always know what's happening on a Monday night. We know what's happening in Nova Scotia. We don't always know what's happening in Prince Edward Island. But one of the things I love that they do on this uh, news channel, Love Atlantic, or in the morning, they recognize people, right? They, they recognize the anniversaries. And I'm just amazed to watch these couples across the Atlantic that have been married 50 50 years, and then they'll 55 and 60, 65 years they've been married. You know, my friends, that's commitment. That's what love looks like. That's what it means to love the Lord with our strength. I'm committed. Now, this was in the news just a few weeks ago, and it was interesting as they were interviewing people in London, and uh, as the funeral was happening, and there were quite a few people uh, there that were not necessarily for the monarch, or the monarchy, I should say. They weren't for the monarchy. They were ready for change. And we know that's been a, a discussion all over the Commonwealth and, you know, should we still have this? But that was not the discussion why people came out that day. You know why people came out that day to honor the queen? The word that was used over and over and over again was she was committed to them her people. See, at the age of 21, she was visiting South Africa on behalf of her father when the call came that her father had passed. And so all the world was watching her. And this picture is actually when she was 21 at that radio broadcast. She made a commitment to England that she would serve them as, her, as their monarchy. And what everyone noticed at the end of her life was what? She was true to her commitment. That's what loving the Lord with all our strength is about. That we love the Lord with full commitment. Not that I started strong and excited and all over the place, and then at the end of my life, I just fizzled out into things of God. My friends, I don't want to go out with a bag. I hope you do too. <laughs> I keep praying for our seniors that you will live life to the fullest. And when God is finished with us, amen, hallelujah, take me home. But I don't want any of this fizzling out. This compromise that we see so often in our day. That we need to love the Lord with all of our strength. So, all in. That's the reason for the t-shirt. I'm all in. All of it. I love the Lord with all of my heart. All of my soul, all of my strength, all of my mind. Four times Jesus says it, all. Whenever you see in Bible, in the Bible that is repeated, there's an emphasis. So Jesus is saying, not some, not a portion of half of your heart, not to be half-hearted, but to love me with all. That's what this commandment is about. Remember we said it's first and it's all. It means everything. To love God, Jesus describes, causes us to give up anything and everything that would deter our journey and our passions for Him. Our hearts must be set only on what delights Him. 
Our minds must be anchored by His Word. Our souls must be satisfied with what pleases Him. And our strength must be spent on what serves Him and His kingdom. God says, love me. Seek me and pursue me. And I will satisfy your longings. You know, it was interesting. For a lot of years, we've talked about, you know, I mean, some of you have heard this before, but we've talked about putting God first. And we've done a terrible disservice to the church. Because there was this idea that I put God first, and then my family, and then my, right, my, my church, and then my, you know, we go down through this list, my work. And, and what's happened is that a lot of people will say, well, I come and I worship on Sunday, and I put God first. But come Monday, is mine. Or my time with my family is mine. Or my, my free time of what I like to do is mine. And the truth of what this passage is saying is not just about putting God first on Sunday. It is about the reality that God wants all of you and all of your life. And he wants your family. He wants your work. He wants your free time. He wants it all. Amen. Not just Sunday morning or Wednesday night. God is wanting all of us. So my friends, as we bring this to a close today, this is where it all begins. It begins right here first. Jesus says that we need to love God with everything we have. And it is not enough, as I said, to love God on Sundays and evenings, but not while I'm at work or on Saturdays, Lord. Or for the younger crowd, I love you, uh, uh, Lord, but not at parties. Not when, you know, I used to think of that little girl that told her grandmother when she tried to steal the cookie, look away, Grandma, look away. <laughs> and that's sometimes us. Look away, God. Don't look at what I'm doing right now. God wants all of it. He wants us to love Him with our whole lives, everything. And so it's not enough to put our lives in departments that I love God on Sunday, but I don't love Him Tuesday. And so this is what Jesus is saying here. And so my friends... Love him with all of your heart. Love him with all of your soul. Love him with all of your mind. Love him with all of your strength. And I'll close with this as the worship team comes. How do you love God more deeply? How do you love Jesus? <laughs> Jesus, God has showed you his love for you. By sending his son, and there is no greater than this love than a man would lay down his life for us. God has laid down his life for us. There's a lot of stirring going on, and I'm coming to the end of my message. I ask you just to settle down and give your attention, please. And so, there is this aspect that we are called to love God through loving Christ. I end the story. A rich art collector who had one of the greatest collections of art in the world. It was full of such beauty that you would think that he was a happy man. But the thing is, he wasn't the happiest man in the world because a tragedy had come. And the fact was that his son was killed in a car accident many, many years ago. And the father was devastated and he never really got over it. You see, he loved his son so much. But when the son died, the father was devastated. One of the things he decided to do was to take all those pain and suffering and to put his energy in, into something that at least had some meaning for him, and that was to have the greatest art collection that he could have. But unfortunately,
the time had come when the father had died, and because the son had died, there was no heir to his wealth. And so the announcement went out that this great art collection that he had spent his whole life building up in memory of his son was now going to be auctioned off. On the day of the great sale, art dealers came from far and wide hoping for a bargain. And so there were people online and, you know, different ones trying to see this and put in a bid for this fabulous collection that he had. The first item, though, for auction was a painting of an unknown artist. It was a portrait of a young man. And it wasn't even very good. None of the dealers were even interested in it. And so the auctioneer tried and tried and brought the price down and brought the price down. And finally there was an older man at the back who put his hand up and, and, and he put a bid in for it. You see, it was actually the collector's butler. And he realized that that portrait was a portrait of the man's son. And he also loved the son. So he valued it because of sentimentalism, because of love for that son. He purchased that simple portrait. At that point, all the art dealers who had traveled and wanted to put the bids on were like, finally, that is over. Now we're going to come to the place for the real sale. But at that moment, the auctioneer said, ladies and gentlemen, I am required to read the following clause of the will. It reads, whoever buys the portrait of my son gets everything else. The auction is now over. Whoever loves the son has everything else. Oh, how the son has set us free. How the father's love has been bestowed on us through Christ. I hope you know today that you are loved beyond anything you could ever imagine. I hope you know that. I hope you experience it. I hope you're filled with it. But my friends, before we ever go talking about loving our neighbors, let's get this right. Let's let the love of God fill our hearts so much that we love him with all that we are and all that we will ever be. Lord, I pray today that you would help us to love you with our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that you know us by our hearts. You said that the man looks at the outward, but you look at the heart today. I pray that hearts have been made right through the blood of Christ, that hearts have been cleansed through accepting Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, the sacrifice that has covered our sins and set us free and changed us and transformed us. And because of that change, the one who is forgiven much loves much. And we want to love you with our hearts today. We, we want to love you with the very breath that we have, the breath that we take, that we don't even realize it about when we're sleeping, but when we wake up in the morning and we breathe in deeply and we realize I am alive, I've been given this gift of life through God, our souls, and I want to use it for your glory. I want to love you with the Lord. God, thank you that you have given us minds that can think and uh, you know, that, that thinking and searching. And we can search you and find you. So God, I, I thank you that we can take our minds and we can bring them to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and we can, can be careful of what we see and what we put in our minds. 
When you take time to allow your word to be a part of who we are, not just written on the outward of stony tablets, but written on our hearts and our minds. And Lord, I don't know how much strength we have. In this room, there's all different degrees. But whatever we have, we can love you with us. And, and we can be obedient and, and be people of commitment, not compromise. And so God, I pray today in this room of love that there would just be a love that would go back to you, right back to the throne today. As we sing this closing song together, God, that you are worthy of all of our love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.